Alright, now that we've prayed, we will look into the Word this morning. We are in Isaiah chapter 47. We'll be starting with verse 8. As an introduction, I want us to look back to Proverbs chapter 1. And um, I will have... um, Dana, we'll start with you to read this morning. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Beginning in verse 20, go through the end of the chapter. Now remember, the context, the uh, children of Israel are uh, in captivity in Babylon. And God keeps reminding them that He is God. They need to seek Him. They need to put away their idols. They are in the midst of a bunch of idol worshipers. They're evidently taking up some of their bad habits. And a lot of them are remaining in unbelief against God. And they're looking for wisdom and salvation in other places. So uh, just to kind of introduce that kind of mindset and the position they're in, we will have Proverbs 1, verse 20 through 33 read to us. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, old naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when you dread when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices, for the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. He who listens to me shall live securely. And we'll be at ease from the dread of evil. Um, is Jill sick today? No, she's not sick. We just had a long day yesterday and no sleep last night. New puppy, and she's not going to be here today. Okay. But I drug myself in. All right. Now, as this uh, Proverbs chapter 1 teaches us, wisdom calls. A lot of people <coughs> believe that wisdom would be the end pre-incarnate Jesus Christ here calling. And He calls on them to turn to Him. They're simple. They're naive. They hate knowledge. They need to turn to Him for knowledge and wisdom and understanding. But He says in verse 29, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord or accept His counsel. And they will turn. Uh... They shall eat, verse 31, of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. 
and they're going to die and they're going to be judged. And uh, so that's the way it is of all who spurn wisdom. Wisdom from the only true source of wisdom, which is the Lord God. Alright, now we'll turn back to Isaiah. That's just kind of an introduction. Keep these verses in mind as we talk today uh, about Isaiah. And I'm going to have Mike, Mike if you will read uh, for us. Let's see, verses 8 through 11. Okay. Now then, hear this, you essential one, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. I will not sit as a widow, nor no loss of children. But these two things <clears throat> will come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. You feel secure in your wickedness and said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away. <clears throat> and disaster will fall on you, for which you cannot atone. And destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. <clears throat> okay, they, these two passages that we have had read have a lot in common. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, we may not get very far today in Isaiah, but we're going to get on something that's really important. That is, having a Christian world and life view, especially when things are going bad. Um, I remember when I was growing up, or trying to grow up, uh, when I was about 20, 21 years old, something like that, I was going through some hard times. And I, I had friends that would tell me, you just have to accept things the way they are. Accept things for the way they are. There's a lot of truth in that. Um, of course, that doesn't mean we don't try to change things to make things better because this is God's world. But <clears throat> there's a certain degree where we need just to say, well, this is God's world and this is what we have. I don't understand it. I guess I have to accept it. But if we develop a Christian world and life view, it will be easier to watch the news at night and do things of that sort. So we're going to... I'm going to introduce you to a few things. You probably already know all this stuff, but a review, a reminder uh, is good. Even if you know something, if you hear the good news again, uh, you will be refreshed again. So that's what we're going to do today. Now these people in uh, Israel in captivity, they didn't like the thing, way things were. God's righteous people were seeing the wicked prosper. Um, they were seemed to have dominion over the church. They were persecuting Israel, making fun of their God, mocking Him, taking His name in vain. And um, they really didn't like what was going on. And then to add to that, uh, God said, well, your deliverer is going to be Babylon. I'm excuse me. It's going to be Cyrus, a thoroughly pagan king. 
And uh, they didn't particularly like hearing that. So, the wicked were persecuting them. The wicked had dominion at the time. Just like it seems like they have dominion here. The church don't seem to be getting anywhere in this country. And yet the wicked seem to be getting everywhere. But when we look at these verses here, these persecutors of the church, they, um, verse 8, there, there's two things in these verses to look at, verses 8 through 11. One, how the wicked see themselves. And number two, how uh, the, the standing they really have before God. What they think they are, and what's really, what they really are, and what is going to happen to them. Verse 8 says, They dwell securely, and they say in their heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. They think they're self-existent. They don't need anything. And nothing bad is going to happen to them. I will not sit as a widow or nor loss of children. But the Lord assures them, even though you think you're so secure in all these things, there's two things that are going to come upon you suddenly in one day. Things are going to start going bad. Loss of children and um, <clears throat> other, other things too. And they'll come on you in full measure. And... The verse 10 says they feel secure. They said no one will see me. Um, and they have, they believe they have true wisdom and true knowledge. They're very arrogant. They're not only wicked, they're arrogant. And they say in their heart, I am and there is no one beside me. And then God says again, but evil is going to come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster is going to fall on you, for which you cannot atone. Destruction will come upon you suddenly. So, their view of things is that we are self-existent. We can do what we want. We will never have to give an account. No one sees. We can do what we want. And that is exactly what the wicked in this country believe. Um, they believe that they can do what they want. They can be as wicked as they want. They can get away with it. No one sees. And they will never be judged. That is the mindset of the wicked in this country. And remember what um, Ortland says about Babylon, which is our context here. They, they're, they represent all of the wicked people that rise up against the church. But this is their real standing. Now, each one of these arrogant, wicked people think they're safe, sound, and secure, and no one sees them. And if you're like me, it kind of makes you mad. But we've got to remember their day is coming. They're in slippery places. We're safe, sound, and secure in the Lord. It's how it's what reality is. We're safe, sound, and secure. But even though it doesn't look like it, they are in slippery places. And I just want to remind you that the wicked that surround us, their day is coming. Just like it says in these verses. 
And I want to read to you something now out of our confession on the fate of the wicked. Chapter 32, section 1. It says, The bodies of men after death return to the dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to the God who gave them. So every person you see, these arrogant people, that on the day they die, their souls return to the God who gave them. They spend their years here on earth boasting against God, persecuting His people, ridiculing God, hating Him, hating His Word, hating His people. And they do everything they can to mess the church up. And each one of us. But, on, according to our confession and according to Scripture that I'm going to read in just a minute, the day they die, their soul returns to the God who gave them. And it's not going to be a good day for them. Now, the Scripture proof that they use for this comes... There's several. Uh, but the one I'm going to read comes from... Just give me a second here. Um, Ecclesiastes 12.7 Then shall the dust return to the earth, talking about the bodies of all men, their dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return into God who gave it. So we're promised in the Bible that wicked men... The day they die, their spirit returns to God who gave it. And God will deal with them in His perfect righteousness and justice. So that is one great thing to remember. They are arrogant now, but their day is coming. And it's our duty to warn them too. It's the duty of the church to warn them. And we're not doing that in this country very well. All right, now, also in this chapter 32 of our confession, I'm just going to read the part that concerns the wicked. Um, <clears throat> the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, whereby they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. All right, so the day they die, the minute they die, their souls return to the God who gave them. And God cast them into hell where they will stay forever until the great day. Now, the great day is a day of judgment. The, day, the last day of history when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. And then they will be reunited, body and soul, and cast into hell. Alright, and then the third thing this confession says in this chapter is the bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. So not only on the day they die, but on Judgment Day, is going to be a very bad day for them because they are going to be raised in dishonor. They, uh, Jesus Christ says, The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear My voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. 
So it's important for us to have this world and life view that these wicked people are in slippery places. And they've got two very terrible days ahead of them. The day they die and judgment day. The wicked may prosper now, but it will they will not prosper forever. So <clears throat> we need to remember that. That may make may things we may be able to take things a little bit better. Accept things for the way they are, so to speak, because we know that God is going to deal with them in perfect justice. Okay, so verses eight through eleven, I believe, show us a it's a good section for the Christian world and life view on how things appear and how things really are. Okay, any comments on that? I think a lot of people miss the fact that the wicked also have resurrection bodies that are connected with their souls, you know, at the the end. And uh, their bodies last forever too. They're tormented, right? Right. They won't be annihilated. Their worm dies not. People don't think about resurrection. Yeah. yeah. And that's what. We'll yeah. Yeah. Not just spirit. And because they get a body back, their torments increase. Yeah. And they don't repent. You can't repent in hell. You get worse and worse. So God's judgment gets worse and worse. If the church really believed that the way they should, evangelism would be much more effective and much more zealous and much truer. You know, you, you don't realize what kind of danger you're in, people. And this is from God's Word. This isn't me. I'm not going to judge you. God's going to judge you. It's not going to be a very good day for you. That's the way I talk to unbelievers now. I, I just skip all the proofs and all that because I know this is true. The day is coming when they're going to have to stand before their judge. And it's not going to be a good day for them. Alright, anything else on, on that? That's just part of our Christian world and life view that we need to be developing. They had, when the Westminster people put this, together. I mean, this was even, in 1647, there wasn't much of a church here at all. It was there in England that they're talking about. So, churches wide, not just here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting righteous everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Also, you know, knowing that we're all made in the image of God... And every person has an understanding of right and wrong. It just shows the power of Satan to absolutely suppress that in those that are not chosen, you know, um, where that they can go on doing what they're doing and thinking they're right. And that's what the scriptures talk about. They think they're doing right. They are totally oblivious Mm -hmm. to what reality is. Absolutely. They're woke, right? <laughs> I mean, sleep. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They do a very good job of it. 
from the very second Adam was created, man knows right from wrong and who God is. From the very second they're created, uh, that Adam was created, concreated with the knowledge of good, of um, right and wrong, and of the fact that he is in the presence of God. And he did fine until he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then he started suppressing the truth. And that has been passed down to every generation since then. Okay, anything else on that? Okay. All right, chapter 47, we're through verse 11. Uh, Chase, can you read for us there, 12 through 15? All right. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are weary with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Okay. Like um, Derek Kinder says, this chapter is a dirge or a taunt song. And it ends up with the phrase, there is no one to save you. We've always taken for granted since we've been Christians, or we tend to anyway, say that we have a Savior. I mean, God doesn't have to give us a Savior. And these people didn't have one. But praise be to God, He has provided a Savior. Okay, the remaining verses of this chapter show, according to your notes, they are looking in all the wrong places for wisdom and salvation, according to verses 12 and 13. They look to the uh, counsels of the wicked. They look to astrologers. Um, everywhere else but to God, but to Yahweh. And these things will be destroyed, according to verse 14. They're, they're useless. They're totally useless, according to 14. They can't even... Produce a good warm fire for them. And then first, verse 15, they will be frustrated. And also, they have no Savior. So that's their true position. They're looking in the wrong, all the wrong places for wisdom and salvation. And those things are going to be destroyed. They will be frustrated. And they have no Savior. So basically, the Babylonians who have rejected Yahweh's wisdom and therefore are depending on their own wisdom. So they have scorned the truth and shown that they hate real knowledge. Remember the passage in Proverbs that we read earlier. 
They have rejected Yahweh's wisdom and they seek for wisdom everywhere else besides Yahweh. And I think I've got there in your notes, is there any difference in this in our modern culture? I think we're pretty much in the same situation right now. We are in Babylon, so to speak, and being persecuted by the wicked. We are ripe for judgment. Um, if, we, if we're truly like Babylon here, we are ripe for judgment. All right, anybody have anything else on chapter 47? On the whole thing? Uh, just the first three blanks. Okay, in verses 1 through 3, Isaiah prophesied that Babylon will be humiliated. So God shows them who their true God is, and the Babylonians are. Page 62. Okay. Somebody read that off, please. He should just read it off. God shows them who the true God is, and the Babylonians are are answerable to Him, and therefore are under His judgment. They cannot think right, and they had a conscience that did not work right. And then the two following that. The remaining verses, this chapter shows. Is that where you are? Yes. Okay. That they are looking in all the wrong places for wisdom and salvation. Okay. All right, we will go on to chapter 48 then. And I don't, I don't think I'm going to hand anything out on that because I've got three passages I won't read before we really start into it. And that's probably going to bring us within a minute or two. All right, Henry, read for us chap, uh, the first three verses of chapter 48. When I tell you to. And then Laura, Hebrews 5, 9 through 11. And Alanda, Romans 10, 21. Okay, Henry. Uh, 1 through 3. All right. Now, the word listen, hear, or hearing, something of that nature, is in verse 1. I'm reading out of the American Standard here. Hear this, O house of Israel. Verse 6. You have heard. Look at all this. Okay. And verse 8. You have not heard. And have not known. Verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob. <coughs> Verse 14. Assemble all of you and listen. 
verse 15, I, even I, have spoken. And then in verse 16, come near to me. Listen to this. They are having to be told by Yahweh over and over again. You need to listen. You need to listen. They've had that problem. The church has always seemed to have that problem. Laura, if you'll read for us Hebrews 5, 9-11. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all, for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Mil- Melchizedek. Melchizedek. There is much more we could, would like to say about this, but it, it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Okay. Alright. <clears throat> the literal translation at the end of verse 11 is you have become dull of hearing. So even in in the days of the author uh, of the early church, we see that they had this problem. They should be growing. They should be learning their doctrine. But they are dull of hearing. They cannot take this spiritual meat that the author of Hebrews is trying to give them. He says, I'm trying to give you meat. And you're, you're sitting there trying, saying, milk, milk, milk. That's all I can take is milk. They're still at their mother's breast. And they should be at the table dining on meat, steak, all those good things. And they're still wanting milk because they don't listen. All right, Romans 10, verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, Yahweh has held out His hand to His people. And His assessment of them is that they are a disobedient and obstinate or contrary people. Just like in Isaiah's time. I think think this is a quote from Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah 65 too. So, that's what we're going to be looking at in this next chapter is Israel's dullness of hearing. God has told them things over and over again and they do not hear. I believe we still have a problem in a lot of churches nowadays. I go into many churches and we're visiting and I remember many churches when I was growing up, people that have sat there years and years and years and they cannot tell you anything about the Gospel. And we should not be people of that. And we should be learning doctrine. We need to learn how to live. But you can't live right unless you learn the teachings, the doctrines of Scripture. Okay, Kim, will you close us in prayer please today? Father, give us hearing. 